Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, I said I like you, like it or not. That's when it got wheels off. I could listen to Ted Leo talk all day. His voice, it's buttery, baritone. His thoughts are so well-formed and well-expressed. Obviously, he's a great songwriter, a great front man, great guitar player. He's a cool dude. He and I are five days apart, our birthdays. I'm five days older, for those keeping score. Um, he grew up in New Jersey. But, I mean, we're a lot alike. Um... So much so that within just a few weeks of my very first release of Wheels Off, these conversations I've been having and recording about creativity and the creative process, I discovered that Ted and Amy Mann were doing something remarkably similar. They have a podcast called The Art of Process, and it's... Also, a deep dive into creativity, the creative process, the creative life, the struggles we face. It's fantastic. Whereas my conversations usually clock in at about a half an hour, um, they go way deeper into stuff. The, the, conversa- the conversations they have are sprawling and ornate and hilarious. The fact that it's two of them, and they are also in a band together, the both, and have spent years touring. The fact that it's two of them makes it so easy for them to riff off of each other and build up these sort of ongoing inside jokes and um, that the audience gets you know, brought into as well. It's not an exclusive thing. It's... It's a blast listening to their podcast. Um, Obviously, when I saw that they were doing the same thing, I thought it was one more instance, perhaps, of redundancy. But I figured out that we're doing different things and coming from different places. And despite uh, the similarities that Ted and I have, you know, up and down the list of uh, biographical factoids, we're very different people, inevitably, I guess. But Ted is so great, and he's so great to talk to, and it's so interesting to be able to pick the brain of someone um, with whom I'm such a contemporary and with whom I share so many experiences, but we never really got to be friends until recently. So uh, I really love getting to figure out what makes Ted Leo tick. And I think you'll enjoy listening to this brilliant guy and his buttery, baritone voice. 
So please welcome to Wheels Off, Ted Leo. How do y'all welcome Ted Leo to Wheels Off? Thank you for having me. <laughs> this is so great, but it's really <laughs> weird because um, about a week after we announced this this show Wheels Off that I was going to do where I was going to do the only show anyone had ever heard of <laughs> that was a deep dive into the creative process, you and Amy Mann announced your show that I didn't listen to for a month because I was afraid of copying you too much, <laughs> and then deep dive have deep dived on since and love. Thank you. But yeah, you guys do the art of process, which is yes. such a brilliant thing. And, and even though we are, we're not entirely redundant. Mm -hmm. We do overlap quite a bit. But you guys do a lot. Yours is a lot longer. Mine's up. Mine's up being about a half an hour. I wish that. Um, ours was shorter because I do all the editing too. So <laughs> you're the editor. <laughs> yeah, so it gets to be like you know a, a third job that uh, nobody's getting paid for. You know, but um, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, as I'm sure you know, sometimes the the conversations just go where they go, and yeah, probably because you know at a certain point I probably should hand off the editing because I get precious about keeping things that I enjoyed hearing in and then yeah they sprawl a little bit now I think it's great and I think so many of um like the Ian McKay Mackay mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. sorry uh it took me years to figure that out yeah. when I was young <laughs> it's very um, common not being from DC <laughs> right. um that one was so great and there were so many tangents mm -hmm. but if you had lost any of those tangents it would have been sorry now we're just right. talking shop no exactly <laughs> yeah yeah but it's, it's interesting you know I mean just to just to you know dwell on Ian for a quick second, I was initially you know a little bit frustrated because I felt like he he wasn't really necessarily answering our questions. But then when I went back to start editing, I realized he was he was just getting there in his way, and yeah. I couldn't cut any of that because we had to let him get there in his way. You know, and why would you? It was all such right. gold. Um, okay, so. Uh, what creative – I know you played last night in mm. – we're in Manhattan right now sitting yes. in a recording studio taping this. It won't be out for a little while. And you played last night. I did. Uh, in Jersey. That's right. Um, which is maybe why your voice is especially baritone. <laughs> it's very stentorian. God, today. it's so good. I'm so jealous of your <laughs> voice. So uh, what creative project are you working on at the moment and how does it inspire you? Right. So I I've – you know, I've mostly been touring for the last few years with this relatively new band mm -hmm. of mine, um, about two years old. <laughs> and it's a bigger band, uh, a saxophone, more more keyboards, uh, more harmonies, and it has truly reinvigorated my enjoyment of my own music, you know, <laughs> which has made shows just so, so fun and... Um, I feel like that's been my main creative focus is really like putting together, you know, nicely flowing set lists every night. We've been playing for like two hours every night. And, um, do you have rearrangements of songs? Yeah, some rearrangements and, uh, fitting the new instruments in on things that were more stripped down in the past. Um, or, you know, or not, but, um, figuring out how to work it with a, with a bigger band. Uh, also, this, you know, as a touring musician, I'm sure you will understand this as, as well. Um, but the interpersonal dynamics um, change when you bring new people in, and that has also like reinvigorated. I feel I think the entire all of our relationships. Like we, I feel like we've been ha we've all been having 
much more fun. And the maintenance of that has led to like, we're like a rolling clinic. Now. We're like a rolling <laughs> mental health clinic now. <laughs> like, I feel like we've been doing really well. And I feel like it's part of the creative project to to keep that going, you know? Sure. I mean, don't we all kind of end up making music as some sort of therapy? But then mm-hmm. when we get in a group, it becomes like a group therapy. Absolutely, yeah. God, there was a great line in your interview with Ian MacKay where he said that he had been in a, like, he was tired of being in a band and he just wanted to make music again. Right, right, right. I love that. I love. I love the right. It's it's really beautiful because they're they're your coworkers, mm-hmm. but they're your friends, yes. right? Yeah. My kids were giving me a grief last night. They were saying, "Well, you don't really have a job." I was like, "Well, I work my ass off, <laughs> right, so right. I don't know." <laughs> right. And then they give me some money for it. So, but um, <laughs> but it, there's truth to that, right? We mm-hmm. chose a profession that we love. Yeah, yeah, right. And uh, and I love that. And how, how do you see the podcast have? as being like a, like how did that even happen did you and amy want to tour together and yeah the the podcast happened I, it was i i want to say that the the idea for that was originally amy's um we originally wanted to do it as a as a video project we were hoping that we could um actually uh you know film interviews have an interview show i think that both of our lives are actually trending toward doing some kind of, you know, Mike Douglas, Dinah Shore interview and music show, you know. I think it's where we both want to be, like just variety show, you know, and interviews kind of thing. But but I'll tell you, uh, and I hope she won't mind me talking about this, but uh, she did a forum on poetry and lyricism at the White House in the Obama administration. <laughs> not, not much poetry and lyricism happening there now. Um, and uh, the the poet Billy Collins was yeah. another participant. They got to talking, and he was really big on form. There were a lot of high school students, and one asked him, you know, how do you get, how do you get going with poetry? And Billy Collins' answer was... Uh, Start with the form. Figure out forms that work for you uh, because nobody knows your name coming out of the block. But if you master the form, some people might start coming because they appreciate poeticism. They appreciate the poetic form. Then they'll start to know your name. Then they'll start to understand your ideas, you know, and then you can branch off from there. And, you know, that's a that's we can we can all have conversations about that as a concept of where one should start. But, um, but it got the ball rolling on the idea of talking to more people about those ideas. Where does one start? How does one work? And, uh, and yeah, eventually we just started doing interviews while we were touring together with no real idea where they were going to land. Um, and finally realized, you know, a decade late in the game they're like oh yeah this could be a podcast yeah (laughs) if only there were a forum where people talk and it's recorded and other people listen right (laughs) yeah and now we we live in a world where people like us are contractually obligated to make podcasts right as part of our job description but I, i i think that's so funny you guys are so good at talking about where things come from and like and and one one thing that i've really that and i'm kind of glad i waited a little bit to to listen to yours where mm-hmm. I'd kind of already felt like I had my feet under me doing mine. But I really love um, the fact that you make a big point to ask people not only what were you influenced by, but the, that point of like what were you sort of railing against? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. what what was up? 
I think that's really brilliant. It, it, thanks. It's it's very interesting. You know, you would think that like me being the quote unquote punk guy, that would usually be my <laughs> question. But but I think Amy is also the one who first brought up the the idea of you know negative influence yeah. still being an influence, and that yeah. there's a lot to talk about there. Yeah, it, it's so great. Anyway, obviously, I'm going to recommend it throughout that people Thank go you. and find the art of process. But so when you were starting. Um, and having listened to you talk a lot, uh, um, I'm fascinated by this. But you are a kid from Jersey, mm-hmm. and you um, you came up. We're about the same age, and you were, but you got to be a part of like the the hardcore punk rock mm-hmm. scene, and was from the earliest moments of knowing and thinking about music was that already a part of it or was there stuff before that were you like a springsteen kid before that oh or? sure yeah I, I'll, I'll i'll say this i i did get um i did get you know hepped to punk sort of preternaturally early <laughs> like and you know before i was 10 i i which would be the late 70s you know i was um i i was voraciously consuming music and listening to the radio all the time and and uh i probably heard the name the sex pistols you know mentioned before i ever heard any of their music uh early mtv would play the jam and things like that you know and i I would uh i got into that i saw adam and the ants in in 1980 when i was 10 i'm about about to go see them next month they're playing the beacon oh that's fantastic well just sorry just adam yeah but i'm sure he's still great Um, you got to see Adam and the Ants, though? Yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to stop yeah, it down. Yeah, yeah. Holy shit. The Cap- whole... Capitol Theater in Passaic, New Jersey. Oh, my God. Yeah. What record would that have been? Uh, Second? Kings of the Wild Kings of the Wild Frontier. Yeah. Oh! I know. I bet that was great. It was amazing. And um, and then I got... that, And I actually like, sort of... I veered into hip-hop for a long time. Uh-huh. Um, and it was in New York, uh, especially there, there was a lot of hip-hop hardcore scene crossover mm-hmm. um and then eventually by my late teens i was you know, more like mostly into punk and hardcore again did, and did you see yourself always being on a stage creating was that something that was there an epiphany moment for you I, you know that's a tough question because i didn't i didn't really start playing in bands until my late teens and i was kind of content to just be a fan in a, in many ways I think I always envisioned myself singing and I did a lot of singing. I probably annoyed people with how much I walked around <laughs> singing, you know. Um, but uh, I didn't really take any concrete steps to make that a reality. Uh, again, until my late teens, you know. Uh, I was I was happy to let that live and percolate in my head for a while, you know. But late teens. I mean, late that's, teens. That's it's still, still pretty young, pretty young, I guess. Young, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then your first forays into it were rock and roll. Uh, yeah, yeah, punk, yeah, hardcore nice. and stuff. Yeah. And so, it's funny, you and you and Amy do a lot of talking about, like, and you and I just discussed your gig last night. Even you felt like you were, and I don't, I don't mean to out you here, but you oh, felt please. maybe like you, like it wasn't the easiest gig. Right. Uh, it was a hometown show. You're mm-hmm. going back at the end of a stretch of dates. Um, like you guys do a lot of what I feel like is really constructive discussion of. Um, how do we deal with um, internally generated obstacles? Mm-hmm. You know, like how do you confront those and overcome those? Do you so like even now where you're a badass? I mean, I think the 
everybody I know would say, oh, yeah, Ted Leo. There's no question. But you're up on stage and you're like, oh, God damn it. These fuckers are talking too loud at me. How do you deal with these? Um, I... I used, I think, I used to be much worse in dealing with it. Uh, I think that I have come to realize that the standards that one holds oneself to, um, not to imply that an audience doesn't deserve your best, but they may be higher <laughs> than the standards that other people are going to hold you to. You know, yeah. um, I think that people appreciate a bit of humanity. If I make a mistake, um, like if I make a straight up mistake, that's okay. It's human. Yeah. I think the things that bug me uh, that I wind up getting myself twisted uh, up on in my own head are uh, issues of distraction. Sometimes uh, my brain will start working on one thing while I'm still trying to, you know, actually play something else and, you know, miss something. Or um, things that I know, uh, like last night, my one main issue with the show was that. It, my voice was tired. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think it was terrible. It was just tired. And I just start, you know, I just start going down the whole road of mortality, like from there, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and like, you know, career death and everything. And, you know, like how long can I do this? Is it, I mean, we, we had, it had only been four days since we had a day off. I'm like, so that's what it's not now. I can only do three shows and then I have to have a day off. Like it just, you know, these, uh, these thoughts can trip you up when you're supposed to be engaging with an audience. I, I feel like people would be amazed if they knew what went through performers' minds during the moment of performance, yeah, right? Yeah. And it can be something as heavy as that or just like a grocery list. Right. You know? Sure. Um, God, that's, but the, the question of mortality is terrifying, obviously. That's the, the, the heart of all of our. <laughs> You know, neuroses. And mm-hmm. um, my friend Kirsten earlier, who produces the show, was telling me about a chef she knows who lost young after like having achieved a massive amount of early success, lost the ability to taste. Oh, my. you know, so and, wow. and it has gotten it back and has done great. Okay. But um, <laughs> yeah, that's um, a, that that just that the idea of that is like a punch in the gut. Yeah. yeah. Or like a Kafka mm-hmm. setup or yeah. something. But yeah, so so you on stage wondering about the longevity of just your vocal cords. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've thought about that a lot too. <laughs> I The other night, Jimmy Fallon walked up to my gig in the Hamptons and was like, hey, I'll sing with you. I was like, okay. So I gave him my guitar. And afterwards, and he played, he ham- hammered through Gloria. And afterwards he said, you know, a year ago I cut my finger off. And I, that's the first time I played guitar in public. And he showed me and his fingers all curled up and wow. there's no feeling in it. And I'm just thinking, like, what, what? What if I cut my finger off? Knock on wood. Then I really wouldn't have a job, so kids. It doesn't, <laughs> so it doesn't get in the podcast, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, these these things, yeah, they're terrifying. But but you just keep going, right? You just power you do, through. and you and you know the the other thing is that um, I think what I was saying about uh, standards before too, it, uh, it helps to remind yourself that. We, and I i mean you and me and a lot of other people as well, we legitimately care about what we're offering our audiences. Um, we're not up there to just dick around and, you know, pretend that, uh, I don't know, that we're God's gift to the world. Like, yeah. we're there to, to prove it every night, you know. And, um, again... You just have to, you just have to let yourself off the hook. That if it's an eighty percent night, yeah, 
that's a, that's probably okay. Like you do care. You're not yeah. blowing it off. You know, you're still showing up, and you just it's a little self care. You know, to to understand that. You know, maybe you don't have to push so hard every every single night. It's know? funny. My my wife's always telling me that. And I'm like, I know, I know what to do. And then I'm up on stage and I'll blow it out. And I think she was right. Yeah. I should have listened. <laughs> that I mean, not to go back to it too much, but that that Ian Mackay interview mm-hmm. was so great. And the way he talks about how Fugazi would do the five dollar shows, right? And and a big part of the thinking behind that was that it took the pressure off them. That was such a revelation. Yeah. I've known the guy for th- thirty thirty five years, something. I never put that aspect of it together. The the low ticket price was not just pure altruism for, <laughs> for the kids, you know. It was it was to allow them to have the freedom to have the kind of show that that they were going to have on whatever given night or whatever given town they were in, you know. Because that is a lot of pressure. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll do the math in my head and I'll look out at a person who's yawning and I'll think, what, what did they pay for the ticket price? What did they pay for those drinks? What did they paying for a babysitter at home? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's yeah, it's pressure. It's a lot yeah. of pressure. Yeah. <laughs> So that's funny that you mentioned that you learned that about Ian after all those years. I feel like listening to you guys do the deep dives that you do is do you feel like you learn a lot during the art of process interview recordings? I do. I do. Uh I, I feel like I learn things from almost every guest that 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 we've had and you know in a, in our conversations Amy and my conversations together um I think we're, we're we've been better able to uh, identify uh, you know, our own hurdles and and uh, get new strategies for uh, for hopefully overcoming some of them. So, yeah. Well, it's, it's funny. It's like what you talk about with your you know the, your band of the last two years, where you're writing around you know doing group therapy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny. It's kind of that's that's what we're all doing in this artistic conversation. Yeah, Again, yeah. That, that word. I, I think this is really beautiful. I'm, at some point, I'm hoping to talk to Amy too. I know she wants very much to talk to you. I was texting her before I came in. She was like, I want to do it with you. I was like, I know. I want you to know she can do it too. And you guys always tape your stuff via Skype pretty – oh, the interviews you do live. Yeah, we all, we do our interviews intros. when we're together. So, you know, it's unfortunate because sometimes people pitch us and people we would love to talk to, but we can really only do them – we want to be in the same room for that. Sure. So we, we, we do them when Amy is out here or I'm on the West Coast or we're on tour together. Yeah. And then, yeah, we Skype our, our uh, intros and things. And, yeah. yeah. I really love, by the way, the intros. And I'm very jealous oh, of it. The fact that you guys get to have such a great dynamic. And there's two. I record my own intros, too. It's just me. And yeah, so... yeah. It's nice to have a, it's nice to have a podcast friend. <laughs> yeah. You guys are so great. It's such a funny. I mean, I, I would love to. If you ever need an opener on oh. both tour, take me out. I'll ride in the back of the van and. And this uh, this in. may you folks you may be hearing the the beginnings of a a tour for for the ages. <laughs> um, and I really love the idea of you guys morphing into some sort of a, uh, a variety show host situation. Yeah, you're both so good. I mean, it's a Thank great you. dynamic. You both have such great voices. She's got such a droll voice. In yeah, it. so smart. Anyway, I'm I'm a big fan. <laughs> Me too. Um, Me too. So. Um, when you were really young and you were starting out and you remember just how weird it was, and obviously, clearly, it was such a different time. Mm. But if you could go back now to that 21-year-old self of yours, but imagine working in today's world, mm. do you have any advice you might give yourself as a young person, younger person? Yeah. Yes, actually. Um, all right. So 
one thing that you know you often get asked as a songwriter is how much you think about uh, audience expectations of you in your actual songwriting, what people want to hear versus what you want to write. And sometimes there's no difference. Sometimes maybe there is. You know, um, I think there's a there's a thing that I call punk damage, <laughs> um, which is uh, not a bad thing. It's it's objectively a good thing, and it's you know maybe just caring a little too much. <laughs> To the extent that, um, in a, and this could this covers a lot of different things, but let's just talk about songwriting. Um, to the extent that uh, you sometimes don't let yourself take your seatbelt off and go to the stranger places that you might really be interested in going, um, I'd like to I'd like to roll back about a decade and start doing some things that I did you know, let's say starting in the mid nineties, like earlier (laughs) when I, um, weirder stuff that I was listening to, uh, less straightforward, you know, punk rock, um, incorporating that earlier on and, uh, you know, hope having a little bit more uh, growth as a songwriter a little bit earlier in my life. That's so funny. I've, I've got band members that might suffer from punk damage. Mm. Um, so it's because it's like there's rules, which is ironic, right, right about sure, punk rock. Yeah. But then there wind up being these rules, and then you would confront something like a saxophone. Well, that's not true in New York, but yeah. something, and you say, well, that that's not punk. I can't do that. Right. I mean, I will say in my own defense, and, and I think a lot of people's, a lot of people who are in a similar situation that I was back then, the rules were largely self-imposed. Like, no, you know, yeah. there were people policing actions and ideas and stuff but you know there were plenty of other people who were fighting against that and just choosing to live according to you know an ethos or whatever um but uh yeah when it comes specifically to writing music writing lyrics um i would tell that younger person to never uh never be afraid of taking that seatbelt off never be afraid to step outside of those rules god i love that yeah i mean it's funny too because i i wouldn't have predicted you would answer that because it seems to me like you've always been so good about taking like a really you know beautiful sort of punk ethic but then kind of doing whatever you want like you but maybe that's something that that you felt like you could have started doing even earlier. I I, I do. I, you know, I think probably also there's a great <laughs> there's a great forever debate about um, you know whether one should be a better live act or you know do the late era Beatles and just focus on the studio. You know, yeah. um, and I think there have been times when I've let the kinds of shows that I wanted to be playing dictate choices that I made in songwriting and that's another thing that I I feel like I wish I had not paid attention to you know you can always rework a a song for a stage you can't always you can't always go back and re-record an album you know god no (laughs) that's funny that you bring that up though because it's something that comes up a lot in my conversations and I've heard it come up in yours but it's the not just the expectation of the audience or the fans but also our perception of that expectation mm-hmm. and how much we internalize it and then let it dictate what we do. I mean, do you feel like 
you've gotten better as you've gone along? Or because I sometimes wonder if as we go, the weight of that builds up and then we're suddenly wearing this suit of armor that is our past and what we think people perceive us and expect from us. Yeah, I I think you're right about that. That's a great metaphor. Um, I think that I have gotten better at it. I think I got, when I started playing under my own name, um, this seems funny to say now because I had only been playing in bands for uh, a little over a decade at that point. But I was, I started doing that because I was, I was over it. I mean, in that way that we what Ian said about just wanting to play music and, you know, not necessarily being a band, that was the attitude that I was approaching just starting to use my own name with. And I felt like it could be a fungible thing. It could have the band. If I wanted to play with the band, I could, if I wanted to play solo, I, I could ultimately like, I just, I had songs and I wanted to play them. And I think I had a period, a good period of growth during then because there were no expectations. There were no expectations externally. There were not many internally. Then I started playing with a band that picked up steam and became a band, you know, and I feel like I got locked back into that. A popular band. Yeah, that that other way of, you know, what what we were just talking about, about those kinds of uh, self-imposed limitations and things. Um, And it took me a number of years of, I mean, again, I'm not going to beat myself up up over this. We were touring, (laughs) you know, 200, 250 days a year. So there wasn't a lot of time to think about much else, you know. But um, but yeah, eventually I do feel like I, I climbed back out of the trough and yeah. Did you ever have a time and 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 I and I hesitate to even ask you this question because I feel like everything I know about you seems like the it would answer this for you. But do you do you think there was ever a time when you were thinking as you were writing songs about not just what people would think, but could this succeed beyond artistically but commercially as well? Was that ever something that bothered you, or was, uh, or was it something that like the opposite way, you like. Oh, I mean, I'll never do anything that'll. No, I, I'd be. I mean, I, I would be being way too coy if I pretended that that um, that I never wondered if a hook that I liked would catch on. You know, yeah. um, never hoped that it might. Uh, I certainly certainly did. Um, but but that was never a motivating factor, uh, positively or negatively. You know, I never ran away from something because it might sound too commercial, or went towards something because of that. Yeah. Uh, well, that's good. I mean, I, I think uh, I think your career is one that young artists could look to and really learn a lot from because I feel like you've done so much and you've always been really true to yourself, but without having to be in one just always in one specific lane. You've yeah. done a lot of things, and um, and you continue to do such great work. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan, and I'm really grateful for you sitting down with me today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. It means a lot to me because I'm a big fan of yours as well. Um, I'm hoping that at some point I'll get the call to be on The Art of Process. Oh, we have to do a crossover episode, of course. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Ted Leo. Thanks, Rev. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also... As the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all.
Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.